Welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. I'm here in our online studio with my good friend, Liz Edrington. Liz has served at North Shore Fellowship in Chattanooga, Tennessee in full-time ministry for eight years and is also an adjunct professor at Covenant College. She's a regular contributor to the Rooted Ministry as the author of a new book that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, The book is Anxiety, Finding a Better Story. Liz, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mikey. Oh, you did did it. Um, Listeners, that's an inside joke. Um, All right, here we go. So before we jump into talking about mental health struggles and talking about students who struggle with anxiety and depression, I always think it's helpful to get to know our guests as teenagers a little bit. So uh, when you were a teenager, what sorts of things were you into? Yeah, so I was a sporty spice. Uh, I really, if there was a sport, I wanted to play it. And that's a great '90s reference, you know. by the way. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Love it. I did love the Spice Girls, but I was a closet Spice Girls fan because that was embarrassing. Oh uh, yes, you know. Yes. Um, I understand. Yeah, I loved. I played soccer. I played field hockey, volleyball. I was a soccer referee on the weekends, so my life was full of lots of sports. Yeah, nice. Uh, what what sports did you play? What was your favorite? Soccer is my passion. It is where I experienced that Eric Little, um, I feel God's pleasure when I play type thing. Yeah. So it's always been yeah. soccer for me. Yeah. So when you go to like youth soccer games and everything, do you like feel all the feels? <laughs> I do. Or are you able to like distance yourself a little bit from it? Well, I coached varsity soccer at a high school for 10 years. Yeah. So I am um, yeah. still really love, I love being on the field, love being with kids. Yeah. I can't play anymore. So it's a little bit bittersweet, but uh, I, yeah, I love being out there. Yeah. Nice. Um, hey, so we're here today to talk about mental health struggles. Um, it's, some, it's a topic that you and I have talked about quite a bit over mm-hmm. the years. Um, and I've learned a lot from you about mm-hmm. this. So when I want to record about mental health issues and everything, um, naturally, I think I need to talk to Liz. Um, so mental health struggles are uh, increasingly common. Yes. And, and yet it can be uh, really difficult for us to know how do we minister to students who are living with, especially with anxiety and depression. Um, so I want to talk about how can youth workers think biblically and theologically about mental health diagnoses and how do we respond with wisdom and grace? Uh, so just kind of in general, what what do you think is important for youth workers who have never struggled with their mental health to know about mental health? Yeah, I, I would imagine there aren't too many out there because so many of us do struggle with mental health um, situations, but it's, if you don't have categories for it or can't relate or understand when you see a student kind of looking away or drawing away or not engaging in the normal, quote unquote, normal kinds of ways, average ways, maybe I'd call them. I think one really helpful thing to know is that it can be extremely frustrating not to be able to think your way out of a mental health struggle like anxiety or depression. Mm-hmm. So as someone myself who has struggled with seasons of mild depression, um, it is extraordinarily difficult, even with all the tools, and I am a mental health counselor, to know how to, like I know how to help people and I essentially know how to help myself, but to not be able to think uh, my way out of it, that powerlessness to fix it can be really, really yeah. hard. So for our students as well, 
Um, they, they need us to see them, to witness them with compassion, to walk alongside them, um, and not to try to fix them actually is something that I would really encourage. Like when we notice our urge to want to fix or help, especially as youth workers, to take a step back and ask, where's that coming from in ourselves? Because that might actually hinder your relationship with a student. Okay. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, sometimes, depending on the mental health diagnosis, it can become our lens of relating. So something like anxiety um, has more and more become, uh, what do I want to say, a thing. So instead of anxiety just as an emotion we all experience, um, to have yeah. anxiety has become this fraught, almost a place of belonging for some. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes there really is an anxiety disorder, like generalized anxiety disorder or a, a phobia or something. But I think we almost where we used to need to, to tell kids it's okay not to be okay, more so now because of how much relating is happening through technology. They kind of need to know it's okay to be okay. Uh, it's yeah. okay if you don't have a diagnosis or you're not struggling with gender or something like that. Uh, it is still okay not to be okay. So it depends on the kid. You want to have yeah. wisdom in that. But we want to relate to them primarily as an image bearer and not as someone with depression or with an eating disorder or with anxiety. Yeah. So that when we start relating as, hey, that's the kid who has anxiety or that's the kid who has depression, we, we're dehumanizing them a little. And we want to take a step yeah. back and look at how we can dignify them as an image bearer first and foremost. Yeah. Like you're more than your struggle. You're more than your diagnosis. Yes. That does not define you. Yeah. And we can, we want to honor those diagnoses. We don't have to just yeah. ignore them. Right. But yeah, primarily you are an image yeah. bearer and a beloved child of God first and foremost. Yeah. Amen. All right. So could you kind of walk us through just a, a, a simple biblical framework for how do we think biblically and theologically about mental health diagnoses? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, not cliche, but I think when I'm teaching my students up at Covenant College, laying groundwork for understanding psychological disorders and addiction, I do think the creation, fall, redemption, consummation framework is a really helpful starting place. Because what that yeah. gives us is we start with image bearing and creation, which right. is what's being renewed and restored through Jesus. So we need to know what yeah. our template, what we're created for and what we are uh, what we have fo- hope for if God is renewing creation and renewing our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, so image bearing, meaning especially, like we've got to be teaching our students and remembering ourselves and hearing your worth and your value as an image bearer are not up for grabs. They're unquestionable. Yeah. And in the fall, everything goes awry. So the disease of sin seeps into creation and into our bodies and disintegrates us. Our minds don't work like they're supposed to. Our bodies don't. Hurricanes exist. So sin is more than just the bad things we do. It has corrupted the inside of us. And I think mental health disorders and places where our neurons aren't firing like they're supposed to, our bodies don't work like they're supposed to, they're indicative of the fall, um, which also means there's hope because God is at work redeeming and using all things. Uh, but I yeah. think the fall as understanding mental health diagnoses is really helpful. Yeah, And then certainly the now but not yet of... Um, creation, fall, redemption of God is at work redeeming and renewing and meeting us in our suffering, but also he doesn't deliver us from all of our suffering. And we can use Paul's 2 Corinthians 12 thorn, I think, to understand these prolonged mental health struggles, uh, which anxiety or depression or something like an eating disorder or an addiction might be lifelong. Yeah. And that doesn't yeah. mean God is any less at work in this person's life. In fact, 
God might be allowing it there like Paul Thorne to show his right. power and weakness. And that's something to wrestle with and struggle with, but it doesn't make a kid, kids need to hear, like this doesn't make you less Christian. Um, it's not bad to have anxiety. It's not um, a sin. It's, it's something we can take that to a sinful place. Everything we do can have sin and we can act in sinful ways that are not in alignment with God. But the experience itself, I don't think it's wise to just say that's due to your sin. Um, I think that's a, we want to be really careful with the nuance there. Right. Um, But yeah. So creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, the hope we have, I mean, this is our story. We're rooted in creation and God renewing creation and restoration that like, all will be made right. This is not the end of our story. Nothing is wasted because Jesus is at work. But also there's so much hope for um, deliverance from these things, for my mind to actually work like it's supposed to, for my body to work Mm -hmm. like it's supposed to, and for them to work in harmony together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we can have hope. Yes. Right. Yeah. And hope that's not in our feelings. Like our feelings matter. Yeah. But thank God for hope that is rooted in a reality much bigger than us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not yeah, like an anchored hope, not just wishing, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. So, so some of that gets me to to this question: um, At what point is um, something like anxiety or depression? Um, at what point is that sinful? Mm. And like, kind of talk us through that, because I mean, the, the Bible does say like. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Right. Yeah. And so there is like biblical framing and foundation for for some of these things that that would seem to put it in category of sin. At the same time, we also recognize right the creation, fall, redemption, consummation uh, framework for just the the ways that our, our bodies sometimes you know have been corrupted, and it is what it is. So. Uh, can you talk us through that mm. question a little bit? Because that, that is a question that I've had, um, especially volunteers yeah. and parents ask uh, who are struggling with, like, like, at what point do I tell my kid, like, just stop, mm. just, just trust God, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So can you speak to that? Yeah, there's never a point where we don't invite our kids to trust God. That's maybe yeah. where I'd start. Yeah. Um, I, I want to think the most important thing when you ask that question is I'm curious about where that question is coming from. So with parents, mm. and this is going to be individual to a student, to to a parent, maybe even to ourselves, but the, the seedbed of that question of is this sin or not, of what I want to do with that question, of what I'm hoping the answer, answer will provide for me is super important. Um, uh, because what, why are we asking it? So I can an- imagine a number yeah. of scenarios. If it's so that I can then try to stop my kid from being really annoying in their persistent behavior of not getting out of bed or like not listening to me to go get, get their work done because they're depressed. That's actually fueling my own sin and my desire to be God and like get my kid over this to, um, can I, uh, I almost think of the log and the spec, um, as a, a category to use. If, if I'm so, it's such an urgent or important thing for me to be able to diagnose someone else's sin, there might be something I need to pay attention to in my yeah. a need or, and it might not even be broken. It might be some part of my desire to help, to heal, to um, be an agent of God's glory. There might be some, a dignity side of this and a depravity side of like, I want to fix it because it's yeah. not convenient for me. Um, I, I, with that question, I realize I'm kind of, it's not a non-answer, but 
if, if I'm looking out here to need to know, I need to really be looking into what's fueling that. Yeah. Um, the, the line of where sin exists and doesn't is such a, a matter of God's own judgment. And I mean, we've got places in scripture that say, let's, let's not yeah. try to bring that judgment down on other people. I will, I will do that. Trust right. me to that. So internal conviction, trusting the Holy Spirit to work. Um, the, the articulation of and theological matter of where sin is, if we kind of take it to academia or to another matter and say, where is it? Um, almost my question is, where is it not? Everything is broken. I do think sin is very yeah. pervasive, truly. Yeah. It's not yeah. to dismiss the matter, but to say, I mean, <clears throat> the, the words that I'm speaking right now are not without sin. They're not without a brokenness, right. even though my heart would be to want to glorify God and to see his kingdom come and to encourage and equip the body of Christ, right? Yeah. Um, sin and the, using it as a, is that sin or not, can be such a shaming and a shutting down of conversation and relationship um, that I, I really, I, that's a tricky question. Certainly any actions, we'll use a biblical definition to say anything I'm acting on that is not in obedience with God's law and who he mm-hmm. is and who he's made me to be, then I'm, I'm actively acting on sin. And I think of, we probably talked about this, Mike, how we've got emotions on our triangle, we've got actions and we've got our thoughts and people are composed of all of those. And often we get caught in thinking about our actions as sin, but yeah. our sin is certainly in our thoughts and our emotions are broken as well. Yeah. So trying to figure out where that line is um, in order to apply it to someone else, eh, I don't know. But if you are having that question yourself, which we, I'm sure you've walked with students too saying, is this just my sin? Yeah. And even with my yeah. own depression, I'm like, am I doing something to cause this? Um, mm-hmm. A fair question to maybe ask and pray about with a trusted guide, but also to leave at the foot of the cross because it can perpetuate shame cycles that that drive some of this stuff, that drive the anxiety. Yeah. Scrupulosity yeah. is a word that's used for religious OCD, where people get stuck uh-huh. just perseverating on, is this, am I sinning? Is this bad? Is this? Yeah. Um, so either which way, go to the cross. Maybe I'd say we can have this conversation and then you and me, Mike, we take our student, we take ourselves directly to the foot of the cross and we lay it there and yeah. say, I don't even know Jesus, but please forgive me for where this is sin. Yeah. Help me to live trusting you relying on you moving forward because it's not ours to just nitpick and surgically try to tear apart, but to say, thank God we are washed in the blood of the lamb. Any parts of me that I don't even know are still sinful that have to do with this mental health diagnosis are covered in the blood of Christ. And I get to live and walk with him, trusting he, yeah. he helps me through this. So yeah, yeah, it's a tricky one. I think that's a really helpful answer because mm-hmm. I, I think it, I mean, on one hand, you have some um, parents and students who say, like, you know, it's not it's not a real mental health thing. It's just a sin decision, mm. right? And, and then on the other hand, um, and, and I'm almost hearing this side more often now, um, it's not a sin issue. It has, it has nothing to do with God. Mm. Um, it's my mental health. Mm. And, and so I think your your answer is really helpful because it, it kind of sets both of those responses yeah. in a framework of, um, right. Like, are, are you trusting in the almighty prescription, um, and not in the Lord? Mm-hmm. Um, and are you just trying to control your kid, um, and make your life easier? Yeah. Um, it, so it, it's, it's interesting kind of coming at both sides that I think that's a really helpful 
response, Liz. Thanks for sharing Yeah, thanks that. for that question. I do think we err. There's an error on either side. In mm-hmm. the psychological world, yeah. we see more and more hesitance to ever, even if they're a Christian in yeah. psychology, to use the word sin is like more and more frowned upon because there's such a stigma. And it's right. it's a little bit of a litmus, litmus test for me in some ways when I am learning about someone in the psychological realm who's a Christian, because that is a very important biblical category. No question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and some have thrown it out to say, oh, that's just spiritual abuse. That's um, so we need to be really mm-hmm. careful with how we're using it and going right back to scripture to see how it teaches us about who God is and who we are. Right. But we can't spiritualize. We can't, what do I to say? We can't not spiritualize mental health issues. They are not only biological because our biology is seeped in the spirit, yeah. right? They are certainly spiritual and biological realities. We can't divorce those. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I've always appreciated, um, I think probably one of the main things I've learned from you um, in our friendship is just like that we are whole people, yeah, right? Like the whole self-discipleship um, and that we cannot divorce our, our mental health, our emotional health from <laughs> the rest of our life. Yeah. Like it's a whole separate compartment, right? Like we're, we are whole people and that's who we want to minister to. And uh, that's where we want to apply the gospel. Mm, amen. Um, so I just want to kind of pick your brain for a, a short minute before talking about your book, uh, which is excellent. Um, just anxiety, depression, um, just skyrocketing through the roof. Uh, even before COVID, uh, it was everywhere. Now post COVID, it's everywhere. Um, when when you and I were growing up, uh, it seems like everyone uh, said that they had ADD or mm. ADHD. Uh, it's like no, like you don't have you don't have ADHD. You just are a very busy person and don't like sitting still for a long time, right? Nowadays, it's like everyone um, has self-diagnosed with anxiety or depression, mm. um, which I think has led um, some people to just shrug and say that's ridiculous, and then they dismiss it like it's all just made up. Mm. Uh, so, like, what do you think's behind just the skyrocketing rates of? of anxiety and depression that so many of us are seeing among our students today? Yeah. Um, you know, there are so many factors, so I don't want to reduce it to one thing, but if I'm going to kind of use a catch all term, I would say disconnection. Um, and it's part of why this book has such a big theme of connection and secured connection in God, because I I do think in, in one way, there's nothing new under the sun. People have always struggled. Yeah. And we read stories in scripture that are likely mental health struggles, right? But I think that our, our ramped up access to a type of connection through these smartphones, through social media, is like we're being fed a McDonald's diet all the time. And our kids are observing mm-hmm. us uh, connecting in a certain way. And they're lacking connection with us as our attention is turned to these devices um, in a way that instead of being fed these a balanced steak and potatoes and uh, broccoli meal. Uh, I think that our kids' whole view and experience of what it means to be deeply relationally connected is is altered, and mm-hmm. we're we're not getting the nutrients, the connective intimacy and vulnerability, and ability to have someone bear with us in our pain and our doubt and our struggle and our unknown that we're made for, and that yeah. just is. You think about how a, a baby is soothed and comforted by a parent's attention, and then they learn to do that themselves. There's a way that we're walking with our kids in faith and learning to grow that they 
they need us present and then they're learning to offer their presence to be known and loved to others. And I think there's a, a big disconnection in how that looks these days as we're disrupted by um, our devices. And then that's certainly the hyper-individualism of the West, like our picture of what the good life is, is become reduced to this you do you um, hyper-individualism that is really destructive. So yeah. instead of being knit into a community where people know you and care about you and um, offer you their support and you offer your gifts and need and support, uh, we're, we're told actually to decide who you are and what you are and what your gender is and to live with all constraints yeah. thrown off is the best way you can live life. And I mean, kids yeah. are going to buy into this. Like we all are. It's, it sounds good. It sounds like a great picture of freedom, but it's actually mm-hmm. in a, an anemic type of freedom and a destructive one. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not the yeah. freedom in Christ that we have. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. So how, I guess, so let, let's transition from there because I, these dovetail really well to your book. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you wrote Anxiety, Finding a Better Story. It's a 30-day devotional for teenagers. Um, it's, it's excellent. Um, I, I've, I've read it and I've read a few of the uh, devotionals with my own kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a family, we've read through and, and discussed it. And it's been really helpful. Oh, and I, I really recommend this book very highly to, to our listeners. Uh, could you share a little bit about your approach behind the book? And what do you mean by finding a better story? Yeah. Um, praise God, Mike. I'm so grateful. It's been helpful. That is one of my, my dearest hopes. Um, yeah. So finding the better story. And it, I we kind of battle about this instead of finding a better story, the better story, because I think ultimately the better story is the Christian story we have from Genesis to revelation. And it's in a nutshell that our anxiety finds a home in the story of God. It finds meaning, finds comfort, and it finds hope in Christ and in, in the redemptive love of God that we see trying to come after God's people from Genesis to revelation. And it's that, I mean, I love studying psychology. I'm a mental health counselor. I get to teach in the psychology department, right? Like grounding exercises, psychological theories on healing. These things are wonderful and good. They're common graces that help us. But in the Christian story, we're offered so much more than just a grounding exercise or invitations to believe in ourselves enough. Um, We're offered the person of Jesus and he is our rest. He is our hope. He is the way, the truth, the life that, but like we said before, is outside of our, ability to help ourselves, our ability to believe in ourselves enough. This God who is coming for us with his love in all parts of us pursues us relentlessly and meets us right where we are uh, and walks with us in our anxiety and never wastes it. So there's a way that anxiety can just feel you, make you feel kind of lost at sea because it can be so overwhelming and disconnecting the idea that the God of our universe sees that, knows it, has a place for it and meets us in it is so hopeful. Um, And this story isn't one we have to invent or maintain or create or even feel. Thank God that we are invited to feel it, but it's not dependent on our feeling. It gives us this anchor to understand our anxiety. Yeah, that's true. So when you talk about grounding exercises, what what are what is that? Yeah, so when we talk about grounding, we think about our senses, so our... um, ability to see, hear, taste, smell, and touch. 
And what we've learned about anxiety, um, I'm going to have to show you hand brain here for a second. Um, if you imagine this looks like a brain, this is your prefrontal cortex, this front part of your brain that's the most recently uh, developed. So it allows you to think and to plan and to reason, to speak rationally. That executive functioning part of your brain is here. Um, in here is your amygdala and your limbic system, this other part of your brain where your anxiety lives. So emotion lives mm -hmm. in here. Uh, whoop, so when you flip your lid, you flip your prefrontal cortex and you're feeling really anxious and disconnected, uh, this part of your brain is um, the part that we need to address. So a lower part of our brain, motor functioning, deals with your senses and we can come here to help regulate and calm and settle our bodies with our senses. So instead of when you're talking to it and trying to say like, why can't I stop feeling this way? And if I just, I know I should calm down all these rational parts of this brain, not working. You can't use that part of your brain when you're feeling mm -hmm. overwhelmed and flooded. So grounding helps us yeah. use our senses, bring our attention mindfully to the present moment where the Holy Spirit meets us by saying like, even right now, what do I hear? What do you notice? I hear a brake squeaking outside. I hear a truck going by. Um, so you can use your senses and then your breath is actually thinking the motor cortex, another great way, kind of the first way I think about helping regulate your body when you're yeah. feeling anxious and bringing your prefrontal cortex back online. So yeah. grounding is regulating in your body, kind of yeah. feet up instead of top down. Because when you're feeling that flooded or overwhelmed, really top down doesn't work. It's not how God made us. He made us to connect deeply to himself through our bodies and the earth and to kind of be able to come back into integration in our brain. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. So so doing breathing exercises like five second breath in, five second breath out, like nice slow, like this isn't just like new agey, weird, like non-Christian, mm. right? Like Because I think sometimes we can have that impression like that's paganism. Yeah. Yeah. I had a long conversation with someone actually this last week about that um, because they're relative has moved into new age. Um, yeah, new age spirituality. And what I'd say is, hey, in Genesis, we look at God breathing life into Adam, um, giving him life that are and even remembering our breath that all of what we have comes from God. It starts there, like Genesis came before the fall and or Genesis one and two came before Genesis three. Yeah. yeah. Um, as well as the fact that we think about ways God uses breath work. So even I don't think breath work has to be from new age spirituality for years. Yeah. People have been breathing and regulating through breathing, right. but yeah. even so God uses, um, you know, kill and eat. Like <clears throat> he redeems things of the culture and uses them for his good purposes. Um, yeah. And that could be a discernment issue for some, but for me, God gave us breath. He gave us bodies to regulate the title of what you call it that might be connected to another religion or something else is not necessarily the heart behind kind of, I ask where you're coming from and where you're going. It's not where you're coming from or where you're going when you're saying, I'm use this breath God's given me in order to help me um, come back into fellowship with him and myself and connected to me here. So thinking about motivation yeah. and then goal can be a way to discern, is this, am I yeah. worshiping another God or am I worshiping in Jesus through this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think too, like, so for, uh, for us in Massachusetts, I don't know if it's happening elsewhere too. A lot of schools start the day. Um, and a lot of teachers start their classes with like mindfulness exercises. Um, and a lot of it is like, I'm going to read this from this Hindu mm. sutra or like they read from like all sorts of Interesting. Um, texts that we would not 
approve of yeah. or, or whatnot. Uh, and so sometimes students are asking, like, what, what do I do about that? What and a great so, question. You know, it has just been this issue of saying, like, hey, look, like, we are whole people. And so, yeah, you're not going to follow along with what they're reading. Um, but you can do the breathing exercise. And God gave you your body. Mm-hmm. It does bring down your, your blood pressure. It does help calm your mind if you're anxious or worried about this test or paper or a conversation. Like mm-hmm. you can you can do the breathing and just calm down and let it guide you and lead you into prayer as you ask God to strengthen you and to help you walk with him through the day. Right. Yeah. So um yeah, it, it I I think these things are um uh, you know, so in your in the book. And the devotional, you do have some um, grounding exercises in mm-hmm. there. Um, and I, I would encourage readers, um, youth workers, parents, um, don't just skip over that part mm-hmm. of the book uh, to get to the good stuff, right? Like that is part, it's it's all integrated in there for a reason. Um, you don't need to look at that and be like, ah, oh, whatever, that's extra. Like, mm-hmm. again, whole person discipleship. That's right. Um, you know, if you can't just tell your anxiety to just go away, then you need more than just give me the facts, give me the information. Like you need more than facts and information. Yeah, and look at the many um, ways Jesus so. loves beyond. Like yes, the facts and information, but He mm-hmm. loves and heals and brings brings His kingdom in so many more ways than facts and information. Right? Like even yeah. His healing, yeah. some are physical and some are. I'm seeing someone from afar, but I, I think looking at the person of Jesus and how he relates is a really good um, compass for this stuff as well. Uh, he he was a man who had limits and took time away and prayed to his father, and um, he related as a man with a body, right, like a whole yeah. whole person himself. So we look at him as our model of humanity to ask how we deal with things like anxiety and how we relate to our kids in light of this too. Yeah. That's really good. Um, so we are running out of time. Uh, it is still around the beginning of the school year. And so lots of students, parents are, are experiencing uh, beginning of school year stress and anxiety and worry. Uh, what, what encouragements would you have for youth workers in caring for and supporting those students who are really anxious about the beginning of the school year. Yeah, the you know more and more, I'm in a season of really looking at how Jesus relates to people, um, kind of slowing down and looking at the stories of how he interacts recently. And I have just been blown away by the number of times you read that Jesus sees that he sees the crowd, that he sees the woman um, of Nain, that he the first thing he does before he goes and heals and works his miracles. There's a point where it talks about him seeing. And when you think about what it does to your spouse, to a student, to allow your heart and mind and whole self and your eyes to see them, and even to maybe say a prayer like, Lord, what would you show me? Like, what do you want me to know about this person? I think seeing our kids and even reflecting back to them what we see is so important. Um, And then the next thing you often see with Jesus is letting, it says he had compassion. He lets himself be moved by what he sees. Mm -hmm. So he, this whole person heart um, interaction happens where he doesn't just intellectualize, that's what's happening, I will fix it. He sees, he's moved, and then he acts. So what would it look like for us as parents or youth workers to see our kids 
give weight to their struggles, to their stress, to their anxiety. To let ourselves be moved, that's really hard. There's empathy, there's compassion there. Yeah. That takes time, it's inconvenient. Like, Lord, as a parent or as a youth worker, help me slow down, help me here. And then, then, like, how do I walk alongside them? Can I pray for you? Um, can we open up Liz's book? Can we go to youth group? Like, what that acting part comes, I think, hopefully, after the we let ourselves be inconvenienced for the sake of love. What does it mean to see well, to acknowledge yeah. and see? Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. That's really good. The second, so can much. I add one thing? Yeah. Of um, course you can. I, I would be to pay attention, pay attention to our urge to help in the fix, um, which I'm a fixer, yeah. I'm a therapist. Um, but that kind of like with the question about sin, often our need to fix or to help instead of to um, bear burdens with, to walk alongside, to take the long road of suffering with, often comes from our own stuff, our avoidance of our own powerlessness, our desire to, um, you know, again, to to aid or to help is not a bad desire that can have some dignity, but mm-hmm. it might also be, we don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't have the time. Um, looking at our own sin and saying, hey, actually, yeah. and being invited into a struggle with our student and to walk alongside them is yeah. one of the most healing things you can offer. Yeah, that's yeah. really good. Um, I'm going to throw you a curveball for our last question. I love a good curveball. Um, and, and you're going to hit it out of the park. So <laughs> um, we, we've talked a lot about anxiety. Um, I think sometimes youth workers, and maybe I'm just speaking about myself, can struggle more with how do I respond to students who are depressed, right? How do you, how do you speak into depression? So to, to close out our, our conversation, could you just kind of, how do you, how do you speak gospel hope to students who are, who are experiencing depression? Yeah. You live gospel hope for people who are walking in depression. Um, and you pray very, very intentionally to the Lord about when the time is to speak. Because I think about my own seasons of depression and how much, if, if I have a close trusted friend who's walked with me for a long time and suffered with me and knows the depths of how dark it is and how frustrating that I can't get myself out of it and um, how much I wish that my, my world, my world kind of becomes myopic. It shrinks. I can't like imagine a good future. It feels like it's always been this way. When I've got a close trusted friend who knows those depths and who's met me there, they can speak and remind me of truths of who God is and pray anything and like offer me hope. Um, if you have a relationship with that, like, like that with your student or with a friend, you know, I don't know, God uses, he could speak God might give you a word that breaks someone out of depression to speak. So I'd say seek the spirit in this first and foremost, but I think living uh, in a way that sees and dignifies students who are stuck in that place, you're climbing down into that place where they are to say, tell me about your landscape. What is it like there? Tell me what's hard before you're going to try to bring them up to like, here's what's hopeful and what's good because it's so, when you're in it, you just can't, it's so painful to even try to be told this stuff is here. But when we incarnate, Jesus meets us, the God of the world comes down and meets us in this place. I think that's what we're invited to. And then when you catch cues of a student that's beginning to be able to talk about what's hopeful and good and imagining the future, you take your cue from them. Um, That being said, yeah, God sometimes says, go tell them this. And 
he can work in any number of ways, right? Like he can bring life from the dead. He can calm the storms. More often than not, he's walking alongside. It's those, think about him, all the times he walked with the disciples along the road that we don't read about in scripture. This dude was walking everywhere, just in relationship, every day, boring, just walking, right? That is discipleship so much of the time for us. And we want to have the big moments and the big truth speaking in the gospel. Yes, that's great. Also suffering with and walking with people in the boredom and the mundane and in the suffering is such an important part of the Christian life that takes the spirit to show up and help us do, right? Because we want the healing and the deliverance and the big, beautiful stuff because we're made for that. We're made for glory. But actually, I think meeting them where they are, listening, loving, and I pray for you right now. And before that, I'm going to offer you these truths or maybe in the prayer, you get to offer the truths and the hope. But to be quick to see and meet them where they are and incarnate with them there would be my, my hope. So good. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Thanks for joining us. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, uh, how can they find you on social media or um, where, where would you like to send people to go and get 10,000 copies <laughs> of of your devotional yes. to give their students. Oh, I am certainly not a social media guru um, person. So that, you know, you're welcome to try to follow me, but I'm not doing much. Um, I, yeah, you can email me at my church email address, liz at nsfellowship.org. And so you could be in touch that way. And then my book is found on Amazon or at Christian Book or in our publishers, who's the publisher of the book. Anywhere you get your books, and I just found out they made an audiobook out of it, which is really fun. I didn't know that was going to happen. Hey, that's awesome! Uh, so incredible! Yeah. All right. Well, Liz, thanks again for joining us for this episode mm-hmm. of the YPT podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's always good to be with you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. YPT's mission is to empower youth workers to pursue theological depth because we're committed to inviting students into a faith that's big enough to grow into. You can learn more about the ministry and other resources we offer at youthpastortheologian.com, and you can find us on most social media at Youth Theologian. Mm -hmm.